0: After we finished recording, there was a tragic footnote at the end of a celebratory weekend for Denmark and the Tour de France, with reports of a shooting in Copenhagen in which several people apparently lost their lives. I wanted to make clear that this episode was recorded before we were aware of the incident so that people don't feel the tone of our coverage of the cycling was in any way inappropriate. Our thoughts are with everyone affected by the incident.
1: You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage three, today we are in Sonnenburg.
0: Well, where are we, Mitch?
2: Well, we're downtown Sonnenburg, but more importantly, we're at Café Marcello, um, a place that amazingly they've got I walked in I saw the beers on tap they asked me what beer do you want I think it was a bit of a joke I walked across there I was oh there's about 10 beers on tap here great and they said by the way we've only got Grimbergen I was like what's going on here don't tell me you've sold out of all your beers they said we've sold out of all our beers I said what they said it's the Tour de France (laughs) I have never heard of a place that's sold out of all their beers their kegs and they've got one beer left Grimbergen so I ordered three Grimbergens
0: Well, at least they had enough for three Grimbergens. That's a a real relief. Uh, We are in Sonneborg at the end of our three-day stay in Denmark. It's been fantastic, hasn't it? And I'll certainly be sad to go. Um, Stage three, well, a sprint finish as we expected. But really, it was the Magnus Court stage, wasn't it? Because the Danish rider in the King of the Mountains jersey... He got all of the points yesterday. He got all of the points again today. He was up the road on his own, minutes ahead of the peloton, enjoying, milking every last moment out of his experience. He'll no doubt remember that for the rest of his life. Uh, but he did, once he had all of those points in the bag, he allowed the peloton to catch up with around 53 kilometres to go. And then it was a fairly controlled run until um, 11 kilometres to go, actually, when there was a section of cobbles as they were coming. Uh, through uh, a slightly urban area, a little bit of, of spit of rain in the air at that point, that crash split the bunch, all of the main sprinters made it into the first part, but there was only about 60, 70, maybe 80 riders in that first group at that point, and then came the sprint finish, they came right round that left-hand bend, and as we'll discuss, that was where Fabio Jakobsen lost touch with Michael Mercu, his lead-out man extraordinaire, and that's what cost Jakobsen the chance to win two out of two. And it was Dylan Groenewegen, the Dutchman, bike exchange rider, riding his first Tour de France since 2019, his fifth Tour de France stage win. He was first over the line ahead of Wout van Aert, the yellow jersey. Jasper Philipsen was third for alpecin de Koenig. Peter Sagan, maybe the green shoots of a return to sprinting form for Sagan. He was fourth. Jakobsen in fifth. There were uh, quite a lot of riders who lost some time. A split and 39 seconds separated Rigoberto Urán, Jack Haig of Bahrain, victorious. Uh, disappointing to lose 39 seconds on a fairly routine day. He was in that group. But then the, some of the other riders in there, quality riders, Guillaume Martin, Chris Froome, Balcom Mike Woods, Thibaut Pino. I mean, that might well be the beginning of a strategic losing of time so that they can maybe get out on the attack as the race reaches the... Uh, the mountains towards the end of the week Wout van Aert still in yellow but now 7 seconds ahead of Yves Lampard Uh, Tadej Pogacar is at 14 seconds, Mads Pedersen is still 4th, Filippo Ganna the one of the riders to slip right down the classification today and tonight the race leaves Denmark and returns back to Lille before we move on the big reveal of the three map jerseys, the cycling podcast and map we're collaborating this year and the brief for maps designer was to come up with some designs that would look good on a cycling podcast pro team through the ages and we've been revealing these jerseys on social media over the last three days and today the third design fade was made public it's kind of a Uh, well, it fades from white into a bright raspberry ripple pink and then into a fluorescent yellow, very reminiscent of the early 90s, Um, almost overtones of the acid house scene, the British acid house scene of the early 90s, perhaps. And when I first saw the designs, Francois, that was my out-and-out favourite. But now I've seen the actual jersey on the back of a real rider in photographs. It's a lot closer, and I'm leaning towards the 1980s one. But your view on the acid house...
3: Fade? I think it's a generation problem for me that the 60s will always be the best period for everything so and especially for design especially for especially for looks I mean you know people never looked as good as they did in the 60s so I, I can see that you have a little bit of nostalgia for the days when you went dancing all night you know <laughs> uh, while well, taking drugs i don't want to hear about but it's 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 th- those days are gone you know uh, so uh, so i stick to my to my original idea so, i mean let's face it i i, I like the, uh, the, the, the 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 mape the, the you know the kind of mape one because it's just it just looks l- like the Mapai one, but it's 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 something else. I I must say, I've always liked all kinds of music. I've been been trying to be young and and you know connected for most of my life, but the the acid scene has, has not really been mine.
0: I should stress, I've never tested positive, Francois, and that's a scurrilous (laughs) rumour. Extraordinary accusations require extraordinary proof. Uh, But you can all vote, if you want to, for your favourite at map.cc and the winner will go into production and we'll have a little buffalo motif added to it to remember our friend Richard Moore. But which is your favourite? Check, dot, or fade? Go to map.cc to vote.
1: Check. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by SuperSapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
0: Thank you very much to Super Sapiens. We've been mentioning the Super Sapiens podcast, which you can find in all good podcast apps. And this is a little taste of the recent episode, which features the triathlete Eloise Duluart.
1: I did a bit of self-research again, very dangerous. (laughs) Didn't talk to the people I should have, like my coaches, and I came across... The phenomenon that if you're lighter, you're faster. Really focusing this started getting some results. I was like, oh, I got a bit faster. I didn't read the, Didn't read the small print. There wasn't an asterisk that said this happens to a point, and then you'll fall off a cliff and have massive issues, quite literally. And essentially, I just became obsessed with it. Which, amongst my sort of perfectionism, amongst my sort of willing to always do more and be better, and not seeing who I am in that moment. Is essentially I developed an eating disorder so any belief that I had that I would be faster almost went. it suddenly became I had to be thinner that was how I was going to get stronger.
0: Now on with the business Mitch as a lead-out man and a sprinter from your pro days what did you make of the finish and Dylan Grunewagen's win?
2: Well he, he really looked out of it actually at about 2k to go um he was a long way back and actually speaking with some of the riders they were a little bit worried Luka Mezjek opened the gap up for him and it was just by coincidence that Armin Jensen he came past with a lot of speed that brought him back into the race but he still had to do quite a lot of work from that point um, and you know it all looks perfect now but as he went around that corner Armin Jensen got him into that final corner And uh, he did quite a lot of work from there. He was only a couple of wheels in front of um, Jakobsen, actually, at that point. But a couple of wheels, crucial wheels, in front of him. But again, he showed that determination that he's obviously got bottled up inside of him. And he he made his way through, clearly got the speed as well. One thing I noticed again from, uh, not again, sorry, one thing I noticed from Michael Morkov was something I didn't expect him to do was not being aware that he'd lost Jakobsen, yeah. something that he's normally very, very good at. Yeah. And to see him doing the lead-out essentially for Jumbo was really uncharacteristic for him because normally he's really aware of that stuff. And what he would have normally have done was, it's not in my wheel, I'm on the front, time for me to move out of the way and expose Jumbo early and make them take on the lead-out. Instead, he actually did a beautiful lead-out for Walt Yeah, I
3: Yeah, was, I, was, I was about to ask you the question, what, what did Michael Mer- Merkel for once uh, what, what did he do? And and in and in that case, you know, one you've been the lead-out man. If you 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 speed in, you're in a you're in a sprint, and you realize your your you know your sprinter is is not there, sh- shouldn't you sprint on? You know, like like you see Christophe Laporte who, who led out Wout van Aert finished sixth. So so I guess uh, do you think that Mark, who's realizing Jakobsen was not there, sh- shouldn't have tried to, you know? what what is worth to go on for minor places Mm, too far out as well wasn't it Too far, but I mean it could
2: have made it top five maybe Mm, I think look as my personal you're so bought into your job and the the best thing you can do as a lead out man is to swallow your pride and move out of the way because you don't know if your sprinter is actually slotted in three wheels back if he's slotted in three wheels back that means you're most going to have to open up their sprint early, which ultimately means they're going to lead out your sprinter, up, the job that you were supposed to do. If you start leading it out, you're then making it easier for the other guys to, to win. So you've got to, you've got to really pocket your own ego there, move out of the way, and expose the other teams.
3: Another impact that might have had on the race, that Michael Merkel move, is that uh, it seemed that uh, Calibouen, Wout van Aert, Peter Sagan... Got kind of boxing mm. together on the right end of the of on the, on the road, and 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 Merk, who, you know, take, you know, getting out of the way, kind of op- you know opened the way for Grunewagen to come back and win. So the, the, there were, there was an opening that all all of a sudden appeared wh- while the other was were all battling out on the right and side of the, of, the, of the road, and and maybe there was the, the, there was a the moment when when Grunewagen could you know make his way back.
2: It is funny when you watch those things from the top there, and you can really see how you know afterwards, if if this had happened, if that had happened, um, I yeah I agree, and I think one thing too to go back on Michael and uh, other leadout men is the mentality too. You got to remember that you are a leadout man, and you don't have the reason why you're a leadout man is one you're physically capable of doing that, but two you don't have the mentality of a sprinter sprinters have a really really different mentality killer instinct I like to say white lion fever you see these guys do amazing things and weirdly when you get thrown the, the reins to go and have a sprint for yourself as a lead out man you don't have it you, and you, you really get quickly reminded why you're not a winner
0: uh, Mikkel what did hold his hands up in all the interviews after the finish line I spoke to him at the finish and uh, he said he made a mistake a rare mistake for him I would say but he made a mistake not to check up they came round the corner that Jakobsen was still on the wheel and he carried on with uh, the full effort to do the lead out Jakobsen lost the wheel on that left hand turn didn't he and slipped back a few places and I guess when Merku pulled over to the left side um, once he'd noticed that Jakobsen wasn't there. I suppose there's always a fleeting chance that Jakobsen might be sort of nestled in there somewhere, and they can recouple up and, and go again. But it didn't work out that way. I thought, for what it's worth, Jakobsen did pretty well to um, you know coast over the line in in fifth place. Um, But the day belonged to Dylan Groenewegen, and I think that these two days, there's really quite a nice symmetry, isn't there? Because that incident at the Tour of Poland, which I do keep mentioning and I don't want to kind of dwell on, um, but it was horrific for both riders in two very different ways. Jakobsen sustained all of the injuries and had the comeback. But Groningen was really publicly vilified for his role in that crash. He took all of the responsibility for it. And he's had a different journey back to this point. You know, the psychological uh, aspect of sprinting, you know, they're all trusting one another that they're not going to do anything that jeopardises themselves or or each other. And so I think symbolically for Jakobsen to win yesterday and Groningen to win today, you can almost... I will draw a line under it from, from mentioning it every time they sprint head-to-head. But um, it did feel like a sort of a bit of a moment to have those two riders winning on consecutive days. I don't know what you thought, Mitch.
2: I also thought that it was... I didn't want to draw that line that, you know, it, it's sort of really nice to see them both back and almost like bygones be bygones, let's race. They, they're just back racing, the two best sprinters... Of the new generation, actually, and they they got set back for a couple of years, both of them, as you just stated, for two slightly different comebacks. But it's great to see the, in my in my eyes anyway, I'm going to put my sprinter hat on here, good quality sprints again, and I'm actually happy to see Sagan back up there, mixing it up, more sprinters back up there, making it unpredictable for us. Caleb Ewan, who I thought was going to be, you know really pushing the limits hasn't had a good run the last couple days so he's another top level sprinter of the new generation as we all know and he hasn't featured so great stuff to come
0: yeah what happened to Ewan? because he looked like he was in a decent position on the wheels but as Sagan was moving across to the right he well he had nowhere else to go but Mm. he kind of left it too late and as you said while we were watching it the door was closing as Ewan was making his move and the moment was gone
2: I think Caleb also is there's a bit of an adjustment at the moment to a new lead-out train in the hardest race of the world. So it's very hard for him. Even though he is a good guy to coast off other wheels, he's been used to being delivered very well in the recent years off, you know, Roger Kluger, the rest of the train there as well. And suddenly now, and nothing to take away from the guys who are doing the job, everyone's getting used to it. And they're getting used to each other in the Tour de France. So that's all adding
0: to it. Well, at the finish, we were at the Bike Exchange Team Boston Vehicles, all smiles, of course. They've come here looking for stage wins because they haven't got anyone for the overall. And they have really had to sort of busk together a bit of a freelance lead-out train, haven't they? Um, Mitch, you spoke to Jack Bauer. uh, So we'll hear from Jack Bauer and then from Matt White, the sports director, who was understandably delighted to get a win nice and early.
2: How was it, mate? Yeah. Unbelievable! I saw you pop him up. He was he was gone. He was out,
4: and then it suddenly me.
2: it wasn't me. Wasn't you? you Who was brought all, him that up? That was last all Armand. Oh, I was Armand.
4: Armand got him out uh, into the wind, opened up on the right with about a k to go.
2: I saw that.
5: I was just to get him into
4: a decent position to that corner.
5: And then he came in the corner. From that point
4: cor- on, I think Jumbo had had the right hand side, and it was just a matter of whether Wout's going to open to the left and open the door, and obviously, eventually, he did. That is awesome. It's not only great for the team, but also for him personally, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he's had a, a difficult road back. I would struggle in the position that he's in. Um, to to come back and, and win at the Tour again on a, on a race of this level with the obvious competition is, uh, oh, I think it says a lot to his, his persona. That's and all- we, of course, are very happy. <laughs> we are very happy. <laughs> What about the crowds finally? Like, does that just add to it? Yeah. You know, just that feeling the whole day where you're to, sort of like just... Yeah, uh, like the London Games. Yeah. Harrogate Tour 2014. I've never seen crowds like that since. This is almost on par. Wow. That's I think you'd, you'd probably agree watching from the sidelines. It's been pretty it's amazing.
2: In, it's incredible. I wish I was out
4: there only yeah. just to experience the crowds,
2: not the speed. But anyway, good to see you, mate. Thanks for that.
0: You too, bro. It's fine margins our- in the sprints, isn't it? But what was the difference between today and yesterday?
6: Well, yesterday...
7: What complicated yesterday was, uh, was the headwind. You know, and it was, it was a different kind of final. Today was more of a pure, a pure sprint today. You know, yesterday at 3 k to go, there was, what, 150 bikes box trying to get into one corner at 35 k to go. Today was a lot faster, uh, which, was, you know, not takes the luck out of things, but, you know, when, when, the, when the finishes are so fast... No, it's, it's harder for guys who normally aren't there to get in the way. And that's uh, yesterday was, as we saw with those crashes on the bridge, going off the bridge, it, w- it was pretty messy yesterday. Today was a bit more of a clean-up, pure sprint.
0: Yeah, and you must be delighted that the whole team has bounced back after not quite pulling it off yesterday, not quite getting right up there in the mix yesterday.
7: Yeah, look, mate, you know how we roll. You know how we roll. It's You, know, you win some, you lose some. And uh, we just have to stay focused on, on what we had planned to do. And that's... You know, we got, Six opportunities to win here with Dylan, and we've been fortunate enough to nail number two.
0: I mean, on Dylan, what's his personality like these days? Because, of course, you know, that crash a couple of years ago with Jakobsen, he bore the brunt of the criticism for that, and he's had to also get himself back into the game and be able to sprint against the best in the world in the, the pressure cooker atmosphere.
7: Yeah, and look, obviously Dylan's had hard times over the last couple of years. It hasn't been an easy journey back for him. But it just shows for him to be where he is at the moment, he's, uh, he's a tough cookie. And uh, I'm really, really happy that, he, that we've been able to help him achieve what he, we, what he had already achieved in the past, and that's be, the, be one of the fastest sprinters in the world.
0: I also spoke to one of the other key people in Bike Exchange's managerial lineup, Brent Copeland, about the decision to sign Dylan Groenewegen after he left Jumbo-Visma. I mean, he was under contract at Jumbo-Visma, but the, they came to an arrangement so that he could join uh, the Bike Exchange team, and also how this win affects. Bike Exchange in the relegation battle from the World Tour, because some crucial points secured today as Bike Exchange looked to try and draw themselves away from that scrap for a World Tour place. Brent, just on the decision to sign Dylan Grunewagen, because, of course, he took all of the criticism for the crash in Poland in 2020. And while Jakobsen had to come back from all of the injuries, that crash must have affected Grunewagen as well. And so he's also had to make a journey back to competing at the highest level against the best riders in the world.
6: Yes, sure. I mean, it wasn't an easy journey for sure. I think uh, the team has been fantastic in creating the correct environment for him to feel at home feel at ease and uh, we went out of our way to create an environment which which helped him because we knew he was going through a difficult time it was not easy for for him of what happened Um, the the reason for signing him up was we were looking for a pure sprinter from two years ago and uh, when we heard that Jumbo Vismo were not going to be taking him to the Tour de France and he wanted to go to the Tour uh, thanks to our partners giant we were put in contact with him And the negotiation started there and uh, I started talking to Richard Pluche and I must say that Richard was uh, really a pleasant negotiation to do with him because, you know, there there was a transfer. He did have a contract with him. So it was an easy transfer. It was a pleasant transfer. It was a negotiation that went down easy. And then, of course, we had our team owner, Jerry Ryan, who was supporting it 100%. But we knew it wasn't going to be an immediate win. You know, it was going to take time Uh, to build a train around a sprinter takes time. And I think the technical staff and Whitey and everyone else has done really good in, in getting him to where he's got to now and this win means so much to him and we're just so pleased for him, obviously for the team as well and all our partners, but especially for him, because the way that, you know, he was made out to look like a criminal is completely opposite to what his real cul- uh, character is like, you know, his character's very different to that, he's a very sensitive person and uh, definitely not what he was made out to be, so... Uh, for him to be able to do this now I think means a lot to him personally which is important
0: and for the team I mean you say putting together putting together a a sprint train I mean Luka Mezjek is a key part of that isn't he but I mean you've you've come into the race hunting for stages how easy is it to put a kind of freelance train together I guess relatively short notice
6: yeah it's not easy Um, you know we brought him on late so we didn't have time to build a team around him and build a, a, a train around him which is something we're looking at for the future but uh, we, we've we we've found the right people of who we had in the team in order to build that train and uh, they've done a the really great job you can see the motivation in the guys yesterday was incredible the work they did today was incredible the work they did um, and he's got riders like uh, Michael Matthews who's just incredible you know, it's a rider that wouldn't have to do that kind of work, but he's doing a great job. You've got Luca Medsketsch and you've got Amund. So you put all of them together with Jack Bauer and the other engine room guys that we got. It's, it's, they're doing a fantastic job and this was the outcome.
0: And lastly, the relegation battle that uh, is, is everyone's talking about, but it's actually quite difficult to follow because the, the point system is uh, for the spectators It's quite hard to follow. Um, how much has that been on your mind and how important is a win like this in terms of just getting points to try and get away from the bottom of the table?
6: Yeah, it's. it's, it's I mean, it's a concern for everyone that's in that possible relegation area. Um, it's part of the sport. We've just got to concentrate on our goals and that's what we're doing. You know, we, We've got goals, we've got very important races coming up for the second part of the season. Winning a stage at Tour de France is important. But there's other important races coming up and we believe that with the riders we have on board uh, with the goals that we're aiming for if we're able to reach those goals I don't think we have much to concern about.
0: Do you know off the top of your head how many points that win is worth and and where you're lying in the table at the moment?
6: Uh, If I'm not mistaken that's 125 points.
0: And are you in the drop zone at the moment, as they say in soccer?
6: Yes, we are. We, we're down there, but that makes part of a relegation system fun, isn't it? <laughs> That's what they're trying to create, and it's, uh, it's making, uh, making the teams race for, for one another, but it's just a pity that it's during a pandemic.
0: So go for another 125 points on Tuesday?
6: Absolutely, we will do that.
0: Well, Wout van Aert was second in the yellow jersey. François, have we cleared up this question from last night about when was the last time the yellow jersey was involved in a bunch sprint?
3: Well, a few listeners have been have been going uh, hard at it and trying to find, uh, you know, in instances. It's very rare, obviously, you know. Uh, the, the only recollections I have, but it's not really a bunch sprints. is guys like know, winning on the Champs Elysees, but uh, could you call that bunch sprints? Or maybe one of the one of the know, wins might have been, but uh, but once again, no, it's very rare. And and I mean, what would Vanart? Once again, proved it's difficult to win without a win with the yellow jersey, being second for the third day in a row, which is which is a fit in itself. A guy, remember, who, who collected second places on, in the uh, bunch sprints in the Tour de France was uh, Peter Sagan. And uh, as you said, Mitch, it's, I, I'm glad that the Jacobsen, Brunewagen, whatever it was, you want to call it, you know, incident is, is kind of over now because they're back to their best level. But I'm also glad to see Sagan back in the mix uh, in 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 sprints because we we kind of missed you know sagan and 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 the, the reason why Sagan seems to maybe be not far from you know back to his best level was he was he, he looked you know dejected at the end of the sprint whereas everything was regular but he pointed you know to towards Wood von art like you know implying that maybe uh you know he was boxing in an irregular fashion and later on you know he talked to French TV and said well listen. Uh, I I watched the replay and there was nothing, you know, everything was perfectly regular, but you know, to to see it, uh, you know, to see the back in the uh, you know gritty and really wanting to uh, to be part of the mix is good news I think for sprints and for cycling.
7: Shoot! Shoot at the rear peloton. Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please.
0: That's Sepiké, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Babble. Now, François, you're multilingual, at least bilingual. Do you speak any un- other languages other than French and English?
3: I understand Spanish pretty well. I speak a bit of Catalan because I live in Catalonia, you know, from time to time, uh, and I understand it's Italian because all the—I mean, it's not very different from fr- from French. I think that's it.
0: Well, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> uh, the Babbel app will help you learn a language with some... It's, it's almost like a game, really, because each level uh, takes you on to the next level, and you can do it in a very short space of time. Each lesson takes around 15 minutes and you can choose from 14 different languages including Spanish, French, Italian and German. And Babel speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. So you can start language learning today with Babbel. All Cycling Podcast listeners can get a 6 months free subscription with the purchase of a six-month subscription. So effectively, that's pay for six months and get six months free with the promo code cycling. So go to babble.com forward slash play and use the promo code cycling. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com forward slash play. Now, mentioning Seb Piquet, actually, I saw Seb this evening as he came into the press room area after sitting in the car all day, um, the voice of race radio doing his job, and he confirmed that on Wednesday morning in Lille, there will be a little ceremony uh, for Richard Moore. Uh, So we'll all go there and um, see uh, what uh, Christian Prudhomme and co. have to say uh, to honour our friend Richard Moore. So we're absolutely... Well, we're delighted that the Tour de France have chosen to honour and recognise Richard. um, And, yeah, we'll be there representing the cycling podcast. Now, on the way back from the team buses, Mitch, we saw Kate Wagner, who had a a very interesting day. She was on the motorbike buzzing around the peloton, up the outside, seeing Magnus Court in the break. And uh, I wanted to find out from her how her day had gone.
5: I'm on the motorbike today. And we just pulled off at Kilometer Zero to watch them uh, go for it, huh? So many fans. I've never seen so many people uh, at a bike race in my life. Uh, It honestly makes me a little bit emotional. And I can't wait to... Everyone waves at me on the bike. I feel like Princess Diana. So, uh, yeah. Great time. Very excited. See you soon. Ciao. Ida. Hello, Francois and Mitch and... Lionel. Sorry, turning it here. The atmosphere here is incredible. I'm sandwiched here in between the breakaway of Magnus Court Nielsen and uh, the Peloton. We're taking the turns like quite swiftly and uh, it's amazing to, to see all of the people out. Truly when I wave everyone cheers. I feel like feel like a celebrity, like I said before, huh? But <laughs> anyways, check in soon. We're going slow. We're about to pass Magnus Court. I'd give him an interview but uh, I think he's a little busy right now. I had a
0: Well, Kate, you look windswept. You've been on the motorbike all day. What was it like?
5: It was incredible. I've never seen so many people in my life. I mean, you would go into these towns and people would just be stacked five, six rows from the side of the road. Unbelievable. And not only that, when you would you would suddenly you would turn a corner on the motorbike or on the course and you would go to uh you would be just suddenly in the middle of nowhere, like total farmland. And then you go maybe, I don't know, a kilometer or so like that. And then suddenly more people just, where I, you don't even know where they come from. And every time there's a hill, they're stacked. It's like a sea of yellow and Danish flags. I mean, you wave to them and they all holler. I felt like Princess Diana on the motorbike. You know? uh, so it's not my first time. It's not my first time on the motorbike. Um, So this time I was like prepared for the speed bumps, you know, Uh, because there's lots of things on the motorbike that are, that are, you get used to. By the end of it, you'll start texting on your phone while being on there. (laughs) But the speed bumps are really, because you really feel like you're going to come right off. And I knew at the end of the course, when we got to the end of the course, that it was going to be quite technical for the riders because once you went over that bridge, You were basically uh, kind of weaving in and out of town, and you would hit uh, just patches of cobblestones, which I didn't realize were there. And they really are quite... uh... So when I knew that that that, that was coming, I was like, oh, someone's going to crash there. And I'm watching on the screen as they're coming, and and yeah, they did. (laughs) But all in all, pleasurable experience. Highly recommend the motorbike. Thank you to my driver, Christophe. Thank you to the ASO for letting me be on the motorbike. Great time.
0: Does it give you, uh, you know, a renewed sense of appreciation? Because the more you watch on TV, the more kind of blasé you become about the way the riders move, just how close they are to each other, um, the level of kind of intuition that the riders have got. So being on the motorbike at their level, in amongst them almost, you, you really get a 3D vision of, of what the Tour de France is all about.
5: Yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, you only get to go through the peloton one or two times because uh, when you are pressed on the motorbike, you don't have TV rights, and so you are kind of lower on the pecking order. But when you do go through them, it really is quite incredible. Because this was a sprint stage, they were all quite relaxed. Uh, you, you you weave through them on the motorbike, and you can hear their little conversations. And uh, there were some talking, I think, about pizza or about Netflix or something like that. Uh, <laughs> And But you're that, that's how close you are to them. You can almost reach out and touch them. Uh, you don't want to because they'll probably fall over. Uh, but you are that close. And then you'll weave through them. You'll get to the front. And then you speed up and then you catch the breakaway. And this time the breakaway was only Magnus Court. But it was incredible to see Magnus Court many different times because every time he would pass through these small towns, he would always, like, be. you could tell he was soaking it in. And they really, people were chanting, like, Court, court 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 because they all knew he was coming it was really quite moving uh but i bet it was one of the best days of his life
3: (laughs)
0: stage was it you went on the motorbike before
5: that was the stage uh last year's tour de france the stage that mohoric won the second one uh so 19 um and that was quite interesting because on that stage we could see the the composition of the breakaway change throughout the stage uh it that was one of the stages where it was quite interesting to follow the breakaway because you would see them arguing all the time because those breakaway guys like mohoric like the Ghent, they they all have to be uh, very good talkers. They have to be able to persuade other people to let them stay in the, in the breakaway. And you can kind of watch these negotiations in, full to- in uh, real time. Uh, and, yeah, that was also a- an interesting day because this one was a little more, the terrain was more diverse. That was a really pan-flat stage. But in this stage, you really did go through um, quite a few towns, wasn't really that rural i mean there were stretches that were rural and then also you had uh, these nice passages in the forest where you had these hills that were quite thrilling
0: (laughs) did you get a sense i mean a relatively routine day for a lot of the riders partly i guess because they've got the big transfer back to france tonight which kind of impedes a little bit on uh, the rest day routine
5: yeah i definitely think that plays a factor into it um by the time I was, we sped off to the finish, Magnus Court had, was just about to be caught. And then, then at, only at that point did you really start to see, so sort of after the last climb, did you start to see them really get organized. Because before it was almost like they were on a club ride, really relaxed, very chill. It'd be interesting to see how they behave on a, on a stage that's more complicated, like the cobble stage, for example.
0: Any more intel you picked up from just keeping eyes on the peloton today?
5: Hmm, Intel, let's see. I think that one thing that's really quite amazing to me is who is always on the front. And to me, every time we would pass through, like, Jumbo was always right there. And, like, everyone else would be quite relaxed, but they were quite tense and quite focused. So uh, I think that they have many goals, and they're uh, working really hard, it, it seems.
0: Is that in contrast to Oh uh,
5: Well, Pogacar, he always looks relaxed you know, he could, he could be, you know, trying to, um, uh, trying to de uh, trying to, um, like get rid of a bomb and he would still be just, well, oh, you know, okay. <laughs> he, it's like, oh, maybe it's the blue wire, maybe it's the green one, uh, but uh, it's okay, who knows, you know, what's the worst that can happen? He's really like that. And so he was kind of all smiles today when you would pass through, he's very, uh, He doesn't worry about anything. It's actually, I think, his most remarkable quality.
0: (laughs) I can hear a a new nickname coming on. I don't know the bomb diffuser or something. Yeah,
5: that's the word I was looking for. Diffuser. The (laughs) bomb diffuser. He, but he's the one who drops the bombs. You know. He's like both diffuser and dropper.
0: Detonator. The The detonator. detonator. (laughs) The detonator and the diffuser all in one. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, tuned by science. Thank you very
0: much to Science in Sport. You can get 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. I always recommend the Turamisu Energy Bakes. I haven't actually got any with me here. Um, Wow, some singing at the next table there. I think the, uh, we now know where all of the beer went, don't we, I think, <laughs> if we look at some of the tables around us. So that's, uh, yeah, 25% off at scienceinsport.com with the code SISCP25. Our three-day mini-break in Denmark is coming to an end and the logistics of getting back to France are quite complicated, aren't they? All three Grand Tours this year have these overseas starts, the Giro started in Hungary, we had three days there before transferring to Sicily, and the Vuelta will start in the Netherlands before going to Spain, and of course the Tour de France here in Denmark, and this presents a logistical challenge for the entire race, Um, the teams of course, but also. The likes of us we're well we're taking planes trains and automobiles to get back to france uh mitch you and francois are going on the official aso pl- uh, flight tonight you've got maybe not the golden ticket but maybe the bronze ticket because oh. i think you're taking off at about midnight is that right we Francois? Are.
3: yeah th- there's there's more than one uh, plane and uh, ours is the very uh, the very last one uh we uh, yeah we we're supposed to take off at uh, five past midnight and we'll get to Lille at about two o'clock in the morning in Lille Lequin and then we have to find a, our own way to get to our hotel <laughs> oh, mind you I, I made well I hope hopefully I made you know plans mm. to uh, to take us to our beds uh, in due course but yeah it's, it's it's a logistical problem for us but can you imagine what it is for the for the riders um, I <laughs> I had my own logistics log- logistics problem this morning uh, and today I uh, you know, we, we use little recorders to, uh, to 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 give you the best interviews we can get, and uh, and they're they're fueled by little SD cards, the same as you put on your like SIM cards and you put on in your telephones, and 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 the, and the SD card on which was the the two the best two interviews I'd done in my life, one with <laughs> one with Patrick Lefebvre and another one with Matt White. Well, the 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 the, the, the card actually snapped uh, when I was trying to uh, put it in my computer, so. Uh well you, you won't hear Patrick Lefebvre, you want to hear Matt White, you might hear one of our uh, Danish friends because yeah, because the, the, the lady singing just a minute ago has come to sit at our table. But however, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you all about what Patrick Lefebvre and what Matt White told me about the uh, logistics, if you want. <laughs> so let's 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 make it um, simple. Teams have organized the you know the the coming back to, to France. They actually at the at the finish line today. They, they booked hotels uh, to make sure the, the you know riders could relax and uh, enjoy a little nap. And I'm saying they while you know uh, under an intense pressure from the fans. <laughs> what
0: but, what a pro, François. Yeah, this is and, extraordinary. And then, yeah,
3: and then once they you know, once the riders took their showers in the hotels, they, you know, rushed to the planes. Yeah, r- they rushed to the planes. Uh, at, you know, at, I think the plane was six thirty. And you know uh, uh, towards Lille, and then there are are two other flights for staff and journalists to get back to uh, France as well. Uh, So I mean, and the rest of the staff of the teams, like Matt White and the other guys, they were actually driving back. um, So they were, and the buses already drove all the way through Germany to France. And uh, and most of the other staff of the teams, they will be staying in Germany somewhere. I mean, Matt White, and so the uh, Bike Exchange team will be staying in Bremen. And the little thing about Patrick Lefebvre, I asked Patrick Lefebvre about the Quick Step uh, setup, and very quickly drifted into something else, saying it's great that we have those races, the Grand Depart outside of France. It's great to, that you know shows the popularity of cycling to have these, the, this you know all these fans. I mean, as we saw in Denmark for three days, that the excitement and everything. But he said in the same time, it's very costly. And, uh, and 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 in typical fashion, was all about how much it costs to run a cycling team, and how the budget is tight, and how he's nearly getting bankrupt because of you know the price of petrol going up, the crisis in Ukraine, uh, COVID test, he said, worth worth a fortune, and I was I was really sorry, you know, leaving Patrick, thinking. I mean, this guy is going to, you know, he's miserable and his team have no money. And it's all because of Covid, the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine and the logistics of a transfer back to France.
0: Well, Francois, cool. we, we have got an audience of two people sitting very, very close to us. Um, while we talk to them, why don't you listen to Tom Southern from the EF Education EasyPost team, who was talking about the logistics for their team and staff getting their bus and all their vehicles back to France for the resumption of the race on Tuesday. All three of the Grand Tours this year have got these starts with an overseas Grand Depart and then a travel slash rest day. Um, Does the whole peloton tackle those logistics in exactly the same way or are there some variations? What are you doing?
8: So for us I mean it's it's, it's quite complicated so we don't have like another fleet of of vehicles for example that we can use like some teams will have a bus and, and a truck or whatever, that even if they don't come on the race, they're there for the rest day for the riders. So we have to get our vehicles there. Like we've staggered our exits. So our chef left last night with the soigneur. Um, and uh, we, we've got like the trucks gone with the bikes. And so, because the hardest thing is the riders are going to get there they're going to turn up. They want to have like a meal. They want to like see the Cairo, see the doctor if they've got injuries, all that sort of work. So um we have to like move all of them but then we also have to do the stage today and with all the extra feeds you've got you then have to get other people to you know do extra feeds. um and then driving you can't have one person alone doing even after a stage even 300ks tonight it's, it's tiring you know the ds's have been in the car all day so you shouldn't really be driving um so then it's 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 been quite a big operation for us. I mean, I spoke to some teams a little bit, but like, um, I know I know DSM Westy said that they've got like a setup that's kind of, th- that they can use there. Um, I know quick step Truck didn't leave in a rush this morning, but they're in Belgium, so I mean, when we had the TTT in, um, where was it? Brussels, there were teams there that had two buses, you know, one at the start and one at the finish. Whereas we only had a finish van at the finish. So you have to, yeah, if, if you've got extra vehicles, Obviously staff, you have to move because of the bubble um, but vehicle-wise for someone to follow the training tomorrow there has to be a car there, they have to have the bikes there, um, so getting all that there is quite a big operation.
0: When do the riders go? They're on a flight tonight, They're is fly- that right?
8: Yeah, they fly tonight, um, which is you know, it's pretty straightforward for them and they'll fly with the doctor, 1DS and the carer so we get those people in and fingers crossed they don't get too late at night. And do you know what time those flights are scheduled to go? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, they could say come back, they're going to shower on the bus, get ready to go. And then I would think stage finished 5.30. I I thought it was around seven something, but I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I've done it before when, because there's four planes on the runway. They also have to get clearance to take off. And then then there's all the air traffic and that sort of stuff. So, Um, I mean, they do it really well, the ASO. um, And it is like, it feels like this year there's a lot, but if you remember, this was supposed to be 2020 so everything's jumbled around a little bit by covid you know so but uh, quite a lot's gone into it and everyone's going to be a little bit stretched uh, today does it affect the racing because obviously anyone who has a minor injury today
0: can be treated on the move but anyone who needs any kind of you know hospital treatment that they might be yeah i know touch wood um but it's an extra factor isn't it um a rider if the stage was just starting again tomorrow they there's just a regular rest day no problem but if you've also got to do a big transfer can't hold up the whole plane for you know one or two riders
8: no exactly so i mean that's uh, i mean nobody wants that everybody's hoping that doesn't happen um but then we'll have to make a provision for that i mean there's enough vehicles here and th- that rider will be you know if, if there's riders like that they're going to be extremely unfortunate um there is like a, so there's an x-ray machine at the finish which is a big help because you can do that The podium presentation has to happen, you know, if Magnus is still in the jersey, they've got to wait for him anyway, and, 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 and. So, yeah, I mean, I I think if you're unlucky enough to have to have gone to a hospital, then maybe your race is done anyway.
0: So the bus leaves tonight and we will just get as far as legally and safely it can, because obviously the the driver will be on the taco, I suppose.
8: Well, we've got two bus drivers, so we tried to get around it by bringing an extra bus driver. Um, so it's like extra staff on teams I mean we're 34 here in total with the riders. Some teams are more up to like forties and stuff. Um, cause I mean, there's, there used to be the 30 restriction in the COVID years, but that's gone for, well, sort of semi fortunately, because, uh, it w- was quite nice to work in when, when, <laughs> when you had a nice round number and, uh, it was easy, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, teams, teams have done it quite a bit, you know, they, do, I mean, they did Belfast you imagine that, and that was like different vehicles. I know the Zeros given vehicles when they did Israel. It was all different vehicles there and stuff. So, but with your own vehicles, uh, it gets uh, it's 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 quite tricky. And it adds to the cost. Who picks up that cost? Is it Aso or the teams? That's a question for someone uh, above my level, I think, ghana I'm uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we're all going to drive, you know, a thousand kilometres, and it's going to cost. Whatever it costs these days, so it's going to be—it's it's not cheap. Well, we've regained
0: our composure. Our. Well, that was like having an audience of two, wasn't it? They were sitting very, very close. They almost put Francois off the podcast there, <laughs> our our friends from Sonnebore. Mm. And they've also revealed that the Prime Minister of Denmark has been here in Sonnebore today. And Mitch, when we were talking to Kate, or when I was talking to Kate and we were walking back to the press room, w- we heard the sirens and we saw the blacked-out limo-type cars come flying past. <laughs> Perhaps that was the Prime Minister there um, being given an, an escort... Uh, back to, I guess, Copenhagen.
2: I think it was. It was like, you know, like you... It was an escort. It was just like sirens on, they're going like 100 k an hour through the town. It's quite cool.
0: Well, it's been a really big deal here in Denmark this weekend. Just a few things to say before we wrap up. At Kilometre Zero, part two of Danish Dynamite will be out in the morning. The first part looked at the kind of the rise and fall of Danish cycling. And part two... ...looks at the further fall and then the rebirth of Danish cycling. And I think we can probably agree that um, Denmark has done the Tour de France absolutely proud this weekend. It's been been phenomenal with the crowds and the the party atmosphere. Um, A couple of other bits of business to mention. Uh, Stacey Snyder's mug sold out in just a few minutes on Friday. I forgot to mention that on Friday because we were recording on the hoof but there will be another batch of her mugs for the Tour de France fam towards the end of the month. So look out for those. And, well, the logistics don't get any easier for us, do they? Because I've got to go back to Copenhagen, which is about three hours away, and then fly back to Gatwick, and then our colleague... Tom Carey from The Telegraph and I will cross the channel and hopefully we'll be reunited back in Lille uh, tomorrow evening, ready to resume the race on Tuesday morning with the stage from Dunkirk to Calais. Calais. Now just a last word, Francois, what have you made of Denmark?
3: It was great actually, too short, I mean obviously, well I should cover the tour of Denmark, no but I mean the, the, the passion, the, uh, the excitement. You you could never t- you, you could never feel any tension or any bad vibes you know for throughout I mean the crowds were almost as you know huge as in Yorkshire uh, which remains to me the world record ever you know for a Grand Depart but and um, but here I mean I'm not saying there were tensions in Yorkshire at all that's not what I mean but here everybody was really friendly the Magnus court fi- you know feeling and the way he behaved. Uh, it's, it's not something personal I think It's, it's uh, you, you can tell it's also part of the Danish way of life and the Danish kind of strange kind of humour so yeah it was a nice really nice day, good beers good food as well, strange uh, last, last night but I mean we won't get into that
0: well I was going to mention <laughs> just before we get to the Michelin guide about the hotel because dinner was slightly odd wasn't it, it was kind of um, lobster in a hot dog bun followed by a kind of fillet of fish in breadcrumbs on toast it was an odd I mean uh, it was not 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 unpleasant not unpleasant by any means but Mitch what about the hotel the Michelin Guide how many stars from the Michelin Guide for our hotel last Uh, night
2: I give that one probably just about three and a half last night it was it looked very it was in a lovely location right on the fjord like you said beautiful spot but it just for me it just felt like a bit of an old folks home (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, it was the heating was too hot. It was very carpeted everywhere, and, and the decor was just that little bit. And it was actually filled with old folks. Um, but yes, the food—it wasn't. And you thought it was a lobster roll because that's what they were telling us. No, but actually, it was, it was a shrimp, shrimp roll. Yeah.
0: Was it? Uh, it? It was, was it as you was know. It. But because right. they kept
2: saying lobster, and they presented this dish to us, and I fell for it too. The special dish, the the mixture. Of fish it was described as a plate full of all assortment of fish (laughs) this came out two pieces of crumb deep-fried fish wasn't it
0: (laughs) yeah I mean it wasn't unpleasant but but it was a bit bit eccentric maybe I don't know but there we go. Let's well, what are you going to get tonight? You're going to have the Tour de France press room buffet for dinner. Yeah, we
3: know what we're going to get because I mean the, the it's burgers fr- uh, from the press room. They look too, they look they look pretty nice actually the the burgers from mm. the press room. We'll see what it, what we get. And uh, but that's the Tour de France. One day in a in a fancy uh, you know Michelin star restaurant the next eating shrimp rolls you know in a whole in you know whole folks home and 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 the, the other day you know burgers in a press room I mean that's you know my yeah. stomach sometimes disagrees but you know that's that's the tour de France. that's the
2: life of the journey really
0: isn't it <laughs> well we'll all meet up in Lille uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, Safe travels, Mitch. Safe travels, Francois. We will sign off with the Tour de Buffalo. And I think Denmark has rivaled Yorkshire for the the way that it has welcomed and enhanced the Tour de France. And this clip is from 2014, the Grand Depart in Yorkshire, when Richard Daniel and I spoke to Christian Prudhomme and, and he had his famous quote about humongous bunting that festooned Yorkshire. And uh, we will end the show with a memory of Richard Moore.
1: The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore.
3: Huge crowds, uh, beautiful landscapes, passion for cycling, passion for a tour. French flags, British flags, yellow flags, uh, bunting, uh, so we heard there from uh, Christian Prudhomme,
9: the director of the Tour de France, the Grand Fromage, no less. What didn't come across in that interview, in the audio version of the interview, was the, the hand gestures, which added so much to his very passionate dispatch on, on today's first stage of the tour here in Yorkshire. We should explain that Christian is Prudy, as we call him, is a friend of the, the podcast, and he was a special guest at this, the Cycling Writers of Great Britain, Christmas dinner in London last year Um, and he was a great sport, he came along and agreed to uh, dress up as Santa Claus, Father Christmas Uh, and made a special entrance, Santa Claus with sunglasses it was fantastic, he's he's a great character isn't he
0: Daniel? Fantastic sport um, a very charismatic man, very good speaker as we had there. Yeah I thought he was actually quite emotional, I mean he said it was an emotional emotional day and you could see it in his eyes and and I was trying to sort of imagine what it must be like to be the driving force behind creating all of this Um, you know it is down to him, he had a personal hand in choosing Yorkshire, I know there was a um, there was a kind of battle between Yorkshire and Edinburgh, I know you were you were a bit upset that uh, Yorkshire got the nod initially, Richard. Well, no. Wouldn't you have wouldn't you have liked Edinburgh to have got it?
9: Not with the bid that they put in in the end, which was rolling out of Edinburgh and, and heading south. I, I, di- I, I didn't I didn't fancy that so much as a prologue in Edinburgh. I think would be spectacular. But the Yorkshire Grand Depart, I don't think anybody who who supported the Scottish bid can have any complaints at all because we should get on to talking about today's first stage. Uh, we will get Christian Prudhomme back on the podcast. I'm sure. I know he's very keen to appear on it as re- as regularly <laughs> as possible. Uh, so daily, perhaps. Daily, perhaps. We'll be fighting him off.
6: The cycling podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed,
9: and Lionel Burney.